Let's remain standing for the Word of God, if you are able. It's coming out of Micah chapter 5. It's the same passage that we read last week. Last week, uh, Daniel focused us on, O little town of Bethlehem, the place that was so lowly and yet brought forth the king. Today, the focus is on the shepherd king. And who is it that was brought forward? And what's his nature? And what the effects of it? Micah 4 is printed for you there. We'll refer to it a little bit later, but we'll read for now just Micah chapter 5. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid on us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads on our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances, and he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. Thus far, the word of the Lord Father, indeed, we give you thanks for this word that teaches us uh, where to walk and, and what it looks like. Father, outside of sort of this owner's manual that you have given us as the creator, uh, we would not know how we are to live. So we pray that you would give us good attention this morning, not just intellectually, but spiritually as well. Uh, Father, we pray that you would help us to discern by your Spirit the deep things of God, for only the Spirit can reveal those things to us. So reveal, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, it's great to be together and open God's Word. Uh, If you've been here for the past several weeks, you Uh, may know that we've been walking through the book of Micah, which is uh, an 8th century prophet, a contemporary of Isaiah and Hosea. Um, But it's a prophecy that really strikes at the chord of of who we are in the 21st century, so 8th century B.C., right? Uh, 700 plus years before Jesus came into the world. And as such, it's appropriate for Advent. I mean, Micah starts out with God coming down from the heavens and into this world, which is very much an incarnational theme. What's the world that he comes to? It's a world of brokenness where justice does not rule and mercy is absent. It's a world that is not unlike our own. But then Micah begins to paint a picture of salvation. He begins to paint a picture uh, where we see restoration moving 
from God into the world. And what does it look like? Well, it's a bit unexpected. Daniel covered that for us last week. Micah 5, 2, very well-known messianic prophecy. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are too small, too little among the clans of Judah, out of you will come one who is to be a ruler. And we recognize that when we look for leadership, Uh, When we look for salvation, we don't necessarily look to the halls of power of this world. You know, we we need to be aware of what would be coming out of the lowly places. And it encourages us to be lowly ourselves appropriately. Today, though, we want to look at the nature of this ruler. Uh, 5.2 says a ruler will come out of Bethlehem. Well, what is he like? You know, what, what should his leadership, uh, what should we be looking for in his leadership? How do we understand these things? Let me just get us in the mind of leadership by asking you to compare these two leaders. The first leader filled an, uh, lifted an entire nation during a time of despair. Uh, He mobilized his people against unimaginable odds with clear vision, inspiring passion. He launched a movement that has impacted literally everyone alive today. He set in motion an industrial and scientific revolution that produced the first computer, the first jet airplane, began human exploration of space, unlocked the mystery of nuclear energy, Almost every aspect of the modern world has, in one way or another, been influenced by this man. By the time he died, everyone on the planet knew his name. Without a doubt, this leader changed the course of the world. The second leader lived concurrently with the first leader, but his life was different. At the height of his influence, this leader ran a school that had just 100 students He wrote a few books, but was not widely regarded. He was beloved by his friends and family. He had a reputation for being both intelligent and faithful. But at the time of his death, almost no one knew his name. And most considered his life's work unfulfilled, including this leader himself. Now, you can go to a seminar, you can sit under the various leaders. Which seminar are you going to? If you go to Leader A, if you go to that seminar, your leader will be Adolf Hitler. If you go to Seminar B, your leader will be Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Two very different visions of leadership, and I think they begin to just scratch away at what our expectations are and what we look for when we think about leadership. We think about changing the world, right? Think about power. We think about discovery, all of these things. But it doesn't always look like that. And we've gotten a hint of that already by focusing on Little Bethlehem. But I want to take it a step further today by looking at this leader uh, who is promised and, and seeing how it is Uh, that he comes and actually fulfills the role that is promised. How he actually, you know, what the Messiah really looks like. So 
we're going to look at the Messiah, we're going to look at the people, and then we're going to look at his glory. So the first idea is this, the Messiah comes to his people, okay? The Messiah comes, and, and he comes, a couple of different things just to emphasize for you. The first, of all, the first thing is this, he comes in the fullness of time. We saw that in, uh, in verse 3, right? Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor have given birth. This reminds us very, uh, very much so of Galatians 4.4, 4, uh, where the apostle says, in the fullness of time, the virgin was with child and gave birth to the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. But it, until that time, and particularly here, Micah says, look it, as you think about your leader who will deliver you, you need to learn patience. You need to learn to wait. Micah's case, it was over 700 years until Jesus was born, came into the world, provided the deliverance that their hearts so longed for. Uh, but waiting is part of our story too. We don't like that so much, uh, particularly as Americans, you know, Western we want it now. I've got a headache. Get me some ibuprofen or some Excedrin or something. You know, we are going through a difficult season. What's the quickest way out of this season? We, we want solutions. We don't want to wait. We don't want to be patient. But one of the things that God is encouraging us towards, and I think that this is important, you know, we recognize as we, as we come to this that we are all longing to be delivered. Uh, and one of the things that, that God reminds us is sometimes you have to wait. Sometimes we have to wait when we are in the midst of physical pain. Uh, there is not immediate answers to what's going on with our eyes or what's going on with our heart or how of our, uh, you know, how we're feeling. We, we don't always have answers right away to those things. You know, our, our cultural pain. I know many of you feel that. We look out. We feel it in our communities. Uh, we see it around the world with various regimes and refugees and different things like that. And there's not always immediate answers to cultural pain. Soul pain is very real. You know, you think about Christmas and you always want to preach a positive sermon. Sometimes you fall into the trap of, of not acknowledging that you know, there's very real soul pain in our life. Uh, maybe it's due to loss or disappointment. Uh, maybe we just are struggling with depression. Uh, you know, doubt. Doubt is a very real part, even of the Christian's life. You know, we go through these seasons where we say, Lord, I believe, but I also have this unbelief. How do I you know, and so in the midst of this, we, we long, we long for somebody to deliver, somebody to point us to answers, but sometimes, oftentimes, we're called to wait until that fullness of time shall come. But in the fullness of time, God brings us leaders, God brings us in particular a leader who comes to us, and I want to emphasize two things for you here. They're both from verse 4. One, he comes to us in the name of the Lord. And that's very significant uh, because uh, the name indicates a couple of things. One, it indicates authority. 
You know, when you are an ambassador to a country, uh, you are there in the name of whatever country you're there in the name of, right? So you don't represent just yourself, you represent this greater entity. And so the leader that we have comes to us in the name of the Lord. I mean, he comes to us bearing his authority, bearing his personality, bearing his, uh, his values, all of these things. So when we come to the leader that Micah is talking about, we are coming, as it were, to the Lord himself. We are coming to his heart. His name reveals his heart. And that is one of the things that's so encouraging. It's not just an idea. You know, as we think about leadership, we think about uh, God coming into this world to reveal himself. He doesn't come as just a concept, but he comes as a person. And there's an intimacy there that's wrapped up with a name. His name is Jesus. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. And we can know him, and there is a tenderness, there is a relationship there with him. I know for some of you, it's a difficult concept. You know, you know a lot about God, uh, but do you know him? It's one of the things that I think Advent really invites us to. We used to live in St. Louis, some of you know that, and uh, we would see folks, I was in Starbucks one time, Mark McGuire walked in, Marshall Falk, uh, Lisa met Kurt Warner at a, uh, at a park one day. And, you know, you knew all about these guys. You knew the stats on the back of their cards and, you know, all of those things. But that's very different than knowing the person. And I think one of the things that we see here is that when the leader comes, he comes in the name of the Lord. He doesn't want you to just know about him. He wants you to know him and to love him and to embrace him personally. The last thing that I'll just point out about this Messiah who comes is that he comes in the strength and the majesty of the Lord. You see that there as well, don't you, in verse 4. He shall rule in the strength and the majesty of the Lord. He shall stand and uh, hold forth with might and ability. It's, a, it's an idea that we capture even in the Lord's Prayer. You know, Jesus teaches us to pray, Our Father, the intimacy of coming in the name of the Lord, who art in heaven, the seat of power. I mean, you come to one who has the ability and who rules all the earth. So as you reckon with the Messiah, as you embrace this ruler, this leader, you come to one who not only is tender and wants to know you, but has all power at his disposal. He rules in the strength and the majesty of the Lord. And the enemies, the Assyrians, they can't stand against him. The Babylonians, they can't stand against him. The rebellion of our own hearts, he is able to subdue and overcome and offer grace and peace. Why? Because he is the ruler, the almighty one. And we come to him. Surely, 
you know, this is taking place in the 8th century and Sennacherib and all of the, the hosts of Assyria are laying siege to Jerusalem during this time. You find it in 1 Kings 18, right? And, and Hezekiah and, the, and all of the Israelites are crying out, who's going to save us? We need a king. We need a shepherd king. We need a Messiah who is strong and mighty. And he is that today. He has not abandoned his throne. His right arm is still mighty and powerful. And as we look out and we see the chaos, as we experience the pain in our own lives, we know that we have a father who is intimate, comes to us in the name of the Lord, but he is strong and mighty, ruling from heaven. This is the Messiah that Micah would have us to see, to glimpse, though there is a waiting, to glimpse through the centuries and to know the reality of one who is personal and mighty. And you see the effect of it in the people. I, I, I love seeing this. You know, what is it that this Messiah does? Well, when the Messiah comes into the world, the people are transformed. They are absolutely changed. And again, let me just highlight three things for you. The first thing is this. They're, they're united. When the Messiah comes, you see a unity among God's peoples. We will stand and we will raise up seven shepherds and eight princes. There is a unity amongst God's people that was not there before this one came and provided the guidance and the leadership that they needed. Part of it is because they were going their own direction. If you remember during the time of the judges, uh, you know, the mantra for the Israelites, which was true in the 8th century, which is true in the 21st century AD, you know, the mantra was everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And when you do what is right in your own eyes... What kind of unity are you going to have? Well, you're going to have, be as unified as there are people in the audience, right? Uh, because my own eyes is different than your eyes and your eyes and your eyes. But when we come together under the leader who reveals our hearts and we undergo a true heart conversion, there is a unity there that we wouldn't otherwise experience. One writer puts it this way with regards to the unity. He said... When God's true ruler emerges from the little town of Bethlehem, God's family will be together again, united around their new head. This will be a unity based on a fundamental heart conversion. You know, this is one of the reasons why we do confession every week in our service. Some of you may be visiting, unfamiliar with sort of our liturgy, which fancy word for just saying sort of order of service. Uh, but one of the reasons why we have confession every week is because we recognize that this is what unifies us. We are all equal at the foot of the cross. My sin might be different than your sin, uh, and you can thank God for that because my sin is terrible. But your sin is terrible too, right? And we find our equality at the foot of the cross there, and we can be unified in saying, we are all strugglers. We are all rebels. We collectively come to look for grace from the hand of a leader who can really step in 
and save us. This is what unity looks like with the king. And it also results in, and I love this, and I think you'll like this too, uh, verse 4, uh, he shall stand and shepherd his flock and the majesty, the name of the Lord, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great. You see what happens when, when we're not great, when we confess and when we acknowledge our lowliness and he becomes great, there is a security in that. Do you know how much money is spent in private security uh, in the world today? 2017 numbers were 116 billion, with a B, security. Do you think that security is important value for us? $34 billion in America alone on private security. That doesn't include government, military, any of that stuff. That's just private security. You know, security for our homes, for our businesses, for our cars, for our identities, for all of these things. You know, billions and billions of dollars. There is such a desire, such a longing that we have for security and what is it that the scriptures invite us to? They invite us to dwell secure, but it happens when he is great. There is just such a freedom there. When Jesus is great in your life, when Jesus is the preeminent, when he is the eminent one, the greatness, when that is absolutely true in your life, you are more secure than billions of dollars could ever buy you. You are so free because you know that not a hair can fall from your head without the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know that your every need is taken care of. That doesn't mean that your life will be easy or perfect, but it means that you are secure in a way that technology could never secure you, in a way that guns could never secure you. You are secure and you are free. You are free to be the people that God has called you to be. It's such a wonderful, wonderful promise. Shall dwell secure because he shall be great. The third thing, just to emphasize about this transformation, you know, there's a unification, there's a security. And then the third thing is there's an equipping. Uh, you, you see this. You get a hint of it uh, at the end of verse 4 where it says, They shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great. He shall be great to the ends of the earth. Uh, and, and when we see that, we, we move down then into verse 5. You see that when the Assyrian comes into our land, we will raise up against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. You know, at this time here, Israel has no leaders that they can look to. Actually, uh, Hezekiah proves to be a good leader, leads the people in repentance, and they know uh, Judah knows a time of peace for about a hundred years. But Israel continues to have bad king after bad king. And, and when they're not following the Lord, when they're not following the Lord, then they don't have the leaders that they need. And John Calvin, who's a, a theologian that, that we like a little bit around here, 
uh, he said that, uh, you know, wicked princes are a result of wicked people. So if you don't like your leaders, Calvin is saying, he's saying, look at yourself. Because they perfectly represent the things that we want and desire as a nation. You know, they, they capture those things. It's not to say that we don't hold our leaders accountable, any of those things. But it's just a reminder that we look at ourselves. Because when we are truly submitted to God, when we're truly following His shepherd, then we will raise up leaders that are worthy. Uh, We will raise up leaders who uh, will lead us in that way. That's what Micah is telling the people, saying, "You, you feel bad. You've got these bad shepherds, but are you standing for justice and for mercy? Are you following kingdom values rather than party values? This is the call for God's people It's a call for leadership. And the promise is that when we follow him, he equips us. He equips us leadership. He even equips the the ordinary people. You know, we don't think of ourselves as leaders. We think of ourselves as ordinary. But we see that in in chapter 4 in the the verses that I had printed for you that the peoples flow to it and nations come to the people of Israel. Why? So that they may be taught the ways of God. And it's the people of God that say, look it, let me show you the words of life. You've been living by this script over here, but this script doesn't have a good ending. This script, the the biblical script, this is where we find, you know, the creator who made us. And he's given us the most perfect plan in every way with regards to our economics, with regards to our sexuality, with regards to all of these things as we follow his ways. And this is what God says when, when Christ establishes his kingdom, when the Messiah comes, you know, there will be an illumination where people will seek the word of the Lord. They will seek those promises. Now, one last thing before we leave this. You know, how is it that the leader does this? We, we see it at the beginning of verse 5, don't we? Look at what it says there. He himself shall be their peace. And this wraps up, you know, the incarnation, Lent, Good Friday, Easter, you know, all of these things. We, we cannot talk about God's coming into the world. We can't talk about the advent of the Savior without talking about how it is that he is going to affect, he is going to bring to fruition the promises that Micah is making about this leader some 750 years before he would die. But he himself would be their peace. He himself would become the sin and the rebellion and the brokenness. He himself would inhabit all of the pain, the physical pain, the circumstantial pain, the cultural pain, the, uh, you know, the spiritual soul pain, the familial pain that we often feel around the holidays. He would become all of that and he would nail it to a cross. And he would satisfy the justice of a good God against all of those things, and he would open the way 
to peace. What does the apostle say? He has torn down the dividing wall of hostility that exists between people, for sure. But that exists most fundamentally between God and his creation. Between the creator and the created ones. And he himself has become their peace. I guess the biggest question You know, as we come into this Advent season and we sing the songs, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. You know, is it really your peace? You know, is that the place where you are inhabiting? Because that means necessarily a rejection of all that this world has to offer. You know, how long will you go halting between two opinions, Joshua said to the people of Israel. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Where is your peace? You know, is your peace in your money, in your prestige, in your politics, all of these things? Is that where you are looking for peace? Or are you looking for peace in a tiny baby born in Bethlehem who would go to a cross? and would be crucified as a criminal, but he would raise again for your justification and for mine and ascend to the highest heights of heaven where he rules now in might, in power, in the name of the Lord. It's the question that comes to all of us. And it comes to all of us because you cannot contain his glory. And I I love the prophets for this, because the prophets, you know, they, they stand in the midst of a morass that's very much like the world that we live in now, but they see so clearly and they see so brilliantly, and it's so lovely. As Micah looks out, he sees in chapter 4 and again in chapter 7, he sees a day when Jerusalem, Mount Jerusalem, will be the highest of the mountains, extended over every other high place that's lifted up. And the high places are where they made sacrifices to all these other gods, you know, to the god uh, Venus, the god of sexuality, to Jupiter, the all-powerful god, to Mercury, the god of information. You know, they made sacrifices to all of these gods in the high places. It's not so different than it is today. But he said, there's a day coming when Jerusalem's going to be above them all. And people are going to come streaming to Jerusalem. I love chapter 4 there. The peoples will flow to the mountains. And nations will come and say, let's go to the mountain of the Lord, the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and uh, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Do you realize that you hold in your hands very casually the thing that all of the nations long for, the word of the Lord is the thing that the uh, people will flow to and we have it in abundance and we treat it so casually almost as a throwaway. But it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's powerful. It's uniting. It draws people to it. And there is a strength. And there is a beauty there. And it's something that will go on forever. Isaiah picks up this same theme. Isaiah, contemporary of Micah. He says, on this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for 
all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. He will swallow up this mountain, the covering that is cast over all the peoples, the veil that is spread over all the nations. He will swallow up death forever. The Lord God will wipe away tears from all the faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all of the earth, for the Lord has spoken. You know, this is the promise of the kingdom that little tiny baby Jesus came to enact. A feast for all nations, a feast that draws everybody, it draws, you know, friends, it draws family, it draws people that we don't know who are very different, they speak different languages, they have different customs. It draws our enemies for the Israels, it's drawing the Assyrians and the Egyptians and the Babylonians. It's drawing us all into the worship and the glory of the Lord God. Brothers and sisters, my prayer as we move through this Advent season and we come to Bethlehem again, is that you see the ruler that we are all longing for. I can't promise you a lot about your life, but I can promise you that when you come a door on bended knee, it will transform you your life, and those around you. I want to close with one more leader. He's a contemporary leader. He's much more in the vein of Dietrich Bonhoeffer than that other guy who will not mention his name again. This is a leader that has confidence in a strong, mighty, personal Savior. This is a leader who is so grounded that he is secure in who he is. He is equipped uh, to shepherd the people that are under his care and even us this morning. This is a leader whose testimony, I trust, will be compelling to you. He's not rich. He's not politically powerful. I don't know that he's all that physically imposing, but there's a strength and a beauty here that I think you will appreciate. His name is Wang Yi. He's a pastor of Early Rain Church in China. He's been missing now for a number of days, taken captive by the communist Chinese government. Uh, but before he went into captivity... Uh, he wrote out a letter to his people about civil disobedience and why he uh, was compelled to move in this direction. And again, those themes, security, uh, confidence, a personal savior. And in the end, I, I think that you will see something very beautiful. I'll give these words to him. If God decides to use the persecution of this communist regime against the church to help more Chinese people to despair of their futures, to lead them through a wilderness of spiritual disillusionment, and ultimately to make them know Jesus. If through this he continues disciplining and building up his church, then I am joyfully willing to submit to God's plans, for his plans are always benevolent and good.
precisely because none of my words and actions are directed towards seeking and hoping for societal and political transformation, I have no fear of any social or political power. For the Bible teaches us that God establishes governmental authorities in order to terrorize evildoers, not to terrorize doers of good. If believers in Jesus do no wrong, then they should not be afraid of dark powers. Even though I am weak, I firmly believe that this is the promise of the gospel. It's what I've devoted all my energy to. He closes by these words. Those who lock me up will one day be locked up by angels. Those who interrogate me will finally be questioned and judged by Jesus Christ himself. When I think of this, the Lord fills me with a natural compassion and grief towards those who are attempting to and actively imprisoning me. Pray that the Lord would use me, that he would grant me patience and wisdom, that I might take the gospel to them. You can separate me from my wife and children. You can ruin my reputation, destroy my, my life and my family. The authorities are capable of doing all of these things. However, no one in this world can force me to renounce my faith. No one can make me change my life. And no one besides Jesus can raise me from the dead. And so, respectable officers, stop committing evil. This is not for my benefit, but rather for yours and for your children's. I plead earnestly with you to stay your hands. For why should you be willing to pay the price of eternal damnation in hell for the sake of a lonely sinner such as I? Jesus is the Christ. He's the son of the eternal living God. He came to earth as a baby. He died for sinners, rose to life for us. He is my king and the king of the whole earth yesterday, today, and forever. I am his servant, and I am imprisoned because of this. I will resist in meekness those who resist God, and I will joyfully violate all laws that violate God's laws. Pastor Yi knows the shepherd king personally. He knows him as he lives his life. May God find all of us in service of the shepherd king. Father, as we close our meditation this morning formally, may your words continue to resonate in our hearts. Truly, we, we wait for you in stillness. Our hope is in you. We ask that you would continue to reveal yourself to us day by day, more deeply. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.